This is a Pod One production. For more information, visit podone.co.uk. Meet Caroline, a digital and advertising specialist who offers straightforward, jargon free advice. On her podcast, Caroline delves into the fascinating world of successful professionals. She uncovers their unique stories and explores what drives their success. So join her as she embarks on a journey of inspiration and discovery. And now, let's meet Caroline. Hello everyone and welcome to Meet Caroline. I'm Caroline and this is my podcast. Thank you for all the lovely feedback from my first episode. On Meet Caroline, I'll be chatting to extraordinary individuals from various walks of life, aiming to uncover the secrets behind their success, motivation and what truly makes them tick. Throughout my career, I've always been captivated by the stories of the remarkable people I've met along the way, those who have made their mark in their respective industries. But this podcast isn't always about business achievements. It's about connecting with people on a deeper level. So whether you're an aspiring entrepreneur, a business professional seeking inspiration, or simply curious about the human stories behind success, Meet Caroline is the podcast for you. So, time to meet my guest. Lee Shanahay Montgomery is an old friend of mine and has had an incredible career within the NHS. And he had his own ideas about what to call this edition of the podcast. Two dogs, four kids. No, that's wrong. Okay. Two dads, four dogs. No. No. Yeah, I think two dogs. No, two dads. <laughs> Five kids. Is it? No, you've got four. No, oh, yes. Two dads. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like getting so, confused with yeah. what's a dog, what's so, a kid yeah, and what's an husband? Because I call them all different names. <laughs> so yeah, so it's two dads, five dogs, four kids and a geriatric cat. Wow. So yeah. you must have a busy, busy life. It's manic. So then just to, to talk about this in a bit more detail then, just describe um, the work that you do professionally. Professionally, so I work full time, and I work as a capacity in the capacity as a clinical lead, which is now NHS England. Um, so we are delivering digitisation of healthcare. Um, okay, what does that mean in layman's terms? Because I haven't got a clue what you're talking. So about. basically, it's improving things like workflow, and it could be something like appointment booking. It could be something like when we're. Um, when COVID were out, we developed a system called um, EDI, which were uh, the Emergency Department Digital Integration System, which okay. allowed a referral electronically to be made from a call into 111 directly into uh, a, an ED, and it were to to stop overcrowding at time of COVID pandemic. Which I imagine was a real problem yeah, at the so time. Yeah, so it allowed people to go in at a certain time and, and that I sort of see. thing. So it's all of that sort of thing. It's not purely that. Um, but there's other aspects to it as well, but it's mostly around digitization of healthcare. I see, I see. So how how did you get to do that? I mean, oh. you don't just <laughs> you don't just apply for that job, do you? How how on I, earth? Well, did I, that I actually fell into it by accident, to be honest. It were um, so basically, I I'm a nurse by background. Well, I am a nurse. That's my profession. Is that what you thought you were going to be when you grew up, a nurse? Well, I know it'd be something in medical professions or something because my, my my family background's all nursing and medicine and stuff like that. So it's all it's always it's for generations it's been mm-hmm. been that. So it's like in your blood. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, so I uh, started my nurse training back in 1989, 
and worked in different specialities. And then in, I think it must have been about 1999 or something, or something I think it was, they started they developing a new service called NHS Direct, which were nurse-led service to uh, assess patients over telephone, remote tri telephone triage. And I thought, oh, I thought, well, this sounds good, nurse-led service. This, this is what I want to do, sort of thing. So, and prior to that, I'd, I'd, I'd been part of a, a, a program team to uh, implement computerized care planning. So I'd got a taste of what technology could offer. So and I got a lot, little insight into that. So that was that. So I went to work for NHS Direct as a nurse advisor, assessing patients over phone. Uh, using these computerized digital algorithms, pathways sort of thing, or they were known as algorithms, um, and assessing people that you needed your clinical knowledge to interpret the questions and to, to probe patients to get the best start. So you couldn't just say, is this the worst headache you've had? Because they'd say, yeah. So you'd say, how does this headache differ from headaches you've had before? And it was that. So it's not the, the algorithm just to get a framework for you to practice with it. So that's how I got into it. And I think that was my first proper exposure to what's known as clinical informatics. And then um, we were setting up a new service in Sheffield, where I lived, and I got a, um, a team leaders post there. So I, I went and set up the service, we were setting up, set up the service for NHS, NHS Direct in Sheffield, South Yorkshire, South Humber it were gonna be. So previously I were in West Yorkshire, at what was West Yorkshire Ambulance Service which is now Yorkshire Ambulance Service, so just to be correct. Um, and um, then the, the mentality of it all starts to change slightly. And I thought, mm, I don't think this is very much nurse-led anymore. They were bringing in these call centre managers that were running it like a clinical service. I, I didn't really like that aspect of it. So I thought, I saw a job in private industry. They're wanting clinical, um, what were the term, clinical educators stroke trainers to run out to to work with digital software I thought well I'll go for that so I did so I gave up my NHS pension froze it which I sometimes regret but anyway mm. so I gave up my NHS pension to go and work in private in industry and um, and I'd given up a good grade in NHS uh, to take this job so uh, at that time I were um, what would have been uh, like equivalent as a H grade, which is quite a high grade. Um, and I took this job, I took a risk, I, I took it, and I started, I really enjoyed it. I really liked working with other doctors and nurses and training them and educating them in, in using these clinical algorithms. And um, I also remember this, I was working in London at the time, in Dulwich, and I got a phone call. So at this time, I should have said, is that they were running a national procurement to see who were going to run the, the full triage service across England, um, national triage service. And NHS Direct was going to become one huge organisation, um, like a national service. So they wanted one national system. And the company I was working for at the time, which were playing software, thought they were going to get it. They were in, they were in the running for it. So I was working in Dulwich. I got just I was two days into my training, uh, delivering this training program, and I got a phone call to say, "Oh, sorry, we've not won the national procurement. Uh, you're redundant. Oh, where from now?" Oh God! 
I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I've just given up. I've just walked away from NHS. And it took me a lot to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, to come and work for this. And I've now been made redundant. I've never been made redundant in my life. And immediately, and there was something, I couldn't walk away and leave these nurses mm-hmm. and doctors that I were training. Mm-hmm. I had to finish out. So I stayed and covered my own hotel accommodation, mm-hmm. paid for it myself, mm-hmm. and finished this training program off. Because mm-hmm. they were still going to have to use it for mm-hmm. a period of time until the national system mm-hmm. went in. So anyway, that I remember it were a Friday night. I would drive. I would, no, I wasn't driving. I was traveling back by a train. I got a phone call and this Australian guy on there. It turned out to be a guy called John Stevens, who became quite a good friend actually. And uh, said, "Are you Lee Montgomery?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Oh, I've heard a lot about you." He said, um, "We've just won the national tender for the national triage system, and I want you to come and have a chat with me." Oh, right, okay. So I never asked how I got my number or anything. I just said, oh, okay. I said, I said where, where do you want to meet? He said, well, I'm going to be in Wakefield um, on Tuesday, I think it was. He said, I want you to meet me at, in Wakefield. I said, oh, whereabouts in Wakefield? He says, Business 41 um, Ambulance, at Yorkshire Ambulance, sorry, West Yorkshire Ambulance Service Headquarters. I went, oh, so I used to work there. And he said, right, I said, I'll meet you there then. So I turned up. He was a six foot four, big Australian guy, really, really, really friendly. And he says, and I walked in. He said, right. He said, he said, Lee. He said, um, this is proposition we've got. He said, you know, this is about. Told me about the company, um, how it were made up. Um, they were only, were only a very small team. There were a lot of work to do because they just won this. It came out of the blue. They'd won it. Um, there's going to be training material to write, there's going to be lots of travelling to do, blah, blah, blah. I said, I'll do it. So, this was the Tuesday. On the Thursday, I was driving down to Surrey to start to start my new job. And it were, we were, yeah, it, there, were there were six of us, that's all there were, there. and we, we actually delivered the National Training Programme franchise uh, wow. direct. So when, can I just ask a question? Mm-hmm. When when you say that you had uh, different specialisms mm. when you were nursing, back when you were nursing, yeah. what were those specialisms? Oh gosh, right. So I started off in, um, well obviously in, in your training you cover off lots of different things and then I specialised in general surgery, urology, infectious diseases and tropical medicine. Oh my and, God, tropical medicine? Yeah, and sexual health. <gasps> So that, that they were my specialisms. Right, okay. So what is the goriest thing you've ever seen without naming names? Obviously, I don't want oh, patient gosh. Well, names. I, no, well, that would have been when I, when I worked in A&E. I yeah. saw a guy that had been trapped between two train buffers. Oh, my goodness. Crushed. That were shocking. Were and he I, all right? Well... In the end? Well, strange enough, when I went to general surgery, I nursed him in general surgery. Oh, so wow. he lived, he survived. So. He survived because of you? Not necessarily because of me, <laughs> I think because of medical input he had, but yeah. So have you, ever, have you ever delivered a baby? No. You've never delivered a baby? I've seen babies be delivered. Okay, yeah. okay. Have you ever um, seen someone at the end of their life? Yes, plenty. And what was that like? Um, they're all very moving, all special because it's obviously a relationship with your family you build up mm-hmm. and thing. you've got your relationship with your patient, but you know, you, you, you're there... Um, for the patient, but for the family as well. Yeah, and you've got of to make course. sure everybody's okay. And, and it's always tragic when somebody dies. Yeah. Even tragic when they're younger, somehow, it affects you more. But 
so being 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 a gentleman then who's seen lots of people die mm. what's your thoughts on the afterlife i know that's a bit of a deep one but i think that when you if you see if you actually see that happen to someone you're actually um there when that happens well it's going to change your perspective of it surely what do you think? Well, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I'm not a religious person. No. At all. Um, but people have to hold on to something, I think. And one thing that I, there were one expert, there were once a patient I was nursing that were that were um, end of life. Were it a man or a woman? It was a man. Mm. And uh, they were on the last few maybe days of life, really. Mm. And uh, his wife were with him, and she said, and I was just, I was just, just checking his observations, and she just said to him, uh, "Why don't, why don't you run to so and so and get that gate open and, and go and run up that hill to whoever this person was?" Oh. And this guy's pulse went really rapid, and his breathing changed. Now that could have been a consequence of death, but. I, you know, but for him, he must have been hearing something and living something because mm. it was though he was running. I see, I and see. And then he, he passed away. So is, is there something after then, do you think, Lee? Personally, I don't think so. I think oh, okay. some people like to think there is. Mm. Uh, I don't think there is. I, I, I don't know. You don't, you don't know. So then... Um, Nobody ever comes back to tell you, does they? No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. They say you do, but, but, but they don't, do they? But... Uh, I don't know. It's it's a tough one, isn't it? And I suppose it depends on uh, you know if you're religious or not, or does it? No, it doesn't depend on religion necessarily. But I don't know. Anyway, the I mean, strange thing is, I mean, when you you know somebody, you know, I'm in a situation where people had a cardiac arrest and they are dead, mm. and you bring you know you you're doing your compressions and mm. you bring them back to life, you mm. shock them and different things mm. like you bring this person back to life. And but for a period of time, that person that person was dead. Yeah. And then you bring them back again. That must be so, so satisfying. That must be. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like a hero? Because you've well, like no, saved lives. It's a team, isn't it? It's yes. A team. So you don't, I think as clinicians, you never feel like a hero. No, no. Because you should. Yeah, but you don't because you work collectively as a team and we are each other. You can't. I see. In them situations, it's like, you know, you get a, a, a road traffic accident in, in A&E and yeah. you, you work all together. You've all got a, a, a job yeah. to do. So literally teamwork it's, is absolute oh, paramount. definitely, definitely. I know. Um, have you ever been on an aircraft when somebody said, is there a nurse or a doctor? <laughs> yeah, the biggest dread ever, yeah. So, <laughs> it's a dread? Yeah, well, you just dread doing it. But anyway, you have to stand up and you have just to... Just tuck it into your yeah. G&T. So I was there. on a... When, again, it, I went on a flight. I was going out on business and I was going to Atlanta because I used to work in Atlanta for a while. And uh, so I was on this flight and uh, they were just serving up the meal and they called for a doctor in America. Do we have a doctor on the flight? So they never asked for a nurse. So. <laughs> and then they said, again, do we have a doctor? This is, this is an emergency situation. So you don't know what you're going to find. And then this panic voice said, "Do we have a nurse on the on the flight?" Oh gosh, here we go. So I just as my meal were coming, I said, "I said to the stewardess, I said, I'm a nurse. I said, can I help?" And she said, "Oh yes, you can." So she grabbed my meal off me. What and, was the meal? Oh, I can't remember. Out of interest, it been chicken or beef? <laughs> chicken or beef, sir. Um, so off my meal went, and she took me up to um, to further up the plane. 
where I found this child who were about 11 um, that had, uh, she was, they were going over, they were changing at Atlanta to go to Orlando, to Disneyland. And she were having a asthma attack, purely an asthma attack. So, so they're bringing me on American Airlines, like they do on ours now, but then, I mean, they had every equipment, they got defibrillators, blood pressure monitor things, and they're bringing me all this equipment. And I said, just a minute, she's having an asthma attack. <laughs> so, uh, and I said, like, you just need to calm down, and, you know, typical get a paper bag and uh, mm. and breathe into that and stuff. And she, she were fine. And then I got this senior stewardess saying, the captain wants to know, do, do we need to make a, do a divert land? Because oh it's your God. call then as a clinician whether or not you want that flight to really? land or not. I said, no, it'll be fine. Are you sure? Because the captain, I said, she's having an asthma attack. All this care, this is what threw me there. So mm. I just said to her, I said, look, I said, is there somewhere quieter where this little girl can relax? And so I said, have you got any seats in the business class? She said, um, we're not allowed to put people in business class. I said, no, I said, I'm asking you to put this child and her mom in business class so they can relax. And, and she's like, and she were adamant she weren't going to do it. So I had to go to another member of their, staff, their team and said, look, it needs to happen. She's not going to settle with that. So anyway, eventually did move her. I get back to my seat. Oh, right. Where's my food? Where's my... I said, can I have my food, please? Like, oh, no, that's gone now. Oh. That's the reward you get. And there were no thank you for our Delta Airlines. Oh, dear. However... Was the little girl all right? Yes, you were fine. Her mum thanked me. And God. Stuff. So, yes, you were fine. And then the difference were is that on a Virgin flight, uh, there was a guy on there and he was... Michael, Michael, my partner, had gone to the toilet and come back and said, who is the man looking funny? You want to, do you think you want to go and have a look? No, we're both nurses to present me. So why didn't Michael go? So, well, I don't know. He didn't so, want to lose so his I, dinner, did he? So I, no, we'd, we'd had, I think, our food then. So I went up and this guy were having a panic attack, basically. So I did do it, just sat in there, reassured him and everything else. And stewardesses were really thankful and stuff. And they gave us a bottle of champagne. Oh. Yeah. And coming back, I relayed the story to Virgin Stewardess. Back, and she gave me a bottle of champagne. Did she? Yeah. Well, Richard Branson for so that. Total you? difference, yeah. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the important people in your life? Yeah, they're not many. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I suppose the important people in my life are, are people like Michael. Tell, us, tell me about Michael. Oh, Michael. Right, so Michael's a uh, Scottish uh, with an Irish surname. I think his dad's side are Irish, his mum was Scottish. So Michael is your husband? Husband, yeah. And how long have you been together and how did you meet? Oh, God, we've been together 21 years, I think. Okay. And we've been married 17 years. Wow, Yeah. okay. 17 okay. years, yeah. So we met... Again, I was working in uh, Glasgow mm -hmm. and uh, delivering, well, I was I actually a training manager then. I was coordinating the training for NHS 24, mm -hmm. which was their version of NHS Direct, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And uh, so, yeah, I met him there. So his, his class, his group of nurses, they'd been, I don't know whether they were right, but they, They'd, they'd been uh, tagged as a bit of a problem group. Mm. Basically, just challenge, just questions and stuff, right, which, okay. which was good to do. 
So I think a couple of trains had had a hard time with, with them through different things. But did that have anything to do so. with Michael? Because <laughs> <laughs> could have done. He's quite vocal, yeah. to bless him. So, and, uh, so I, I fished for him to go and take this group and they actually turned out to be great and they just right. needed to be trained like adults and, yeah, and stuff like yeah. that and, and things. And, and, I, and I delivered training for him and then I, I felt him looking at me every time I think so I used to have to turn lights off when they were doing a presentation so I yeah, couldn't see yeah. him because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I blush really easily oh. and uh, and then at the end of the training course we decided we'd all go out for a drink and that's where it happened and, and the just, rest is yeah, history the rest is history right okay yeah. so then um just to talk about that for a moment then because obviously it's pride month isn't it and it is yeah. another one of the reasons why I sort of wanted to get you on I mean obviously we've been friends for for years but I've always, always had gay friends, always. Um, and it's something that I feel very, very passionately about. Um, Pride Month and sort of the uh, right to live freely, mm. regardless of who you are. I, it's astonishing to me that you wouldn't be able to be. So together, you and Michael have formed this wonderful family over that 17 years, haven't you? Mm. Um, you know, and there's sort of, been times historically where you haven't always been able to do that gay people within our oh, no. community can you tell me a little bit about that and how you feel about that i mean well, i mean to it be must honest be hard. well i never or it must have been hard when you were younger because yeah. how old are you now so i'm 57 now right okay so i suppose when when i was younger i mean i, I knew i was gay from being about i don't know probably 14. i knew i was different pretty that way hmm. and um yeah, I met my I met my first partner when I was twenty one. Um we lived together for eight years. So in your lifetime then, you must have had that experience of not being able to marry legally. Oh yeah. So you were, But it never came into your head because you knew you you didn't you'd not got those rights as a gay person. It's like you never wanted children because you knew you could never have children because it weren't part So it never of, felt like an option. It never felt like an option. So getting married. I mean I remember uh, when we applied for our first mortgage, me and my first partner, you had to have an uh, HIV test because oh, you were gay. Oh my God. To make sure you could, I mean, that was the thing, but you you had to go, although you knew it were wrong, yeah. you had to do it, otherwise you wouldn't get your mortgage. Um, uh, you see, this is, this is, but this and, is why pride's so yeah, important. Yeah. Because as a, as a, a straight woman, I would never have no. even think that I would no. ever have that experience, and that no. is that's astonishing. Yeah. So you never think about having children, although I, you know I loved being around my niece and stuff at that time. You know, um, you, you never thought, oh God, one day I'm going to have my own children because they were never going to be an op could ever be an option. So then when I met Michael, um, the laws were starting to change and stuff like that. The days had gone when you had to have an HIV test and, and things and stuff for a mortgage. And um, yeah, and then we talked about, started to think about, I think what, what triggered it was, I remember a lesbian friend of mine asked if I'd be a sperm donator for her. So mm. I were all up for it, you know, I thought, oh, that's, a, well, I'll get a child. But then they didn't want any contact with the sperm donation mm. father. Mm. They, they wanted to bring it up their own, you know, that, and that mm. so it were like, that didn't sit very well with me at all. Mm. And then, <clears throat> 
and then we thought, we, we thought about adoption so while we're living in Sheffield we looked at adoption but at that time there were only certain criteria of children you could adopt and it was within them with severe medical illnesses what, or what as a gay couple yeah or disabilities and different things like that and I just thought you know why 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 I don't know that? that was just the way it was um so you couldn't have a baby you couldn't have young children you had to have like older children so just stuff. to but just to uh, uh, you see it like makes me feel angry at that because oh it, no, I know because, but, but when you consider like obviously I've known you and Michael as dads I've seen you like I went through a pregnancy where you supported yeah. me you know you've looked after my children yeah. when you wanted your adoption yeah. I did the interview yeah, did, and signed yeah. for yeah, it yeah. and I just think you know you're both nurses yeah. wonderful kind people why would it not even be I know, but that's... It's it, astonishing, it, it? I know, it's, it's just... I mean, I still can't give blood as a gay man. Really? Yeah, I, I can't give blood as a gay man because there's a risk that I could, you know, obviously I've got HIV, so so could everybody else in society, you know, all yeah, these... Yeah. It's just... It's, I remember you once saying something to me that had a right impact on me, and I know we're, like, digressing a bit, but it was when COVID kicked off. And I remember saying, oh, my God, like, you know, you obviously know and you're like, what's going to happen with this pandemic? I can't believe we're living through all this. And you looked at me and you said to me, it's the first time you've ever lived through it. Mm -hmm. And you were, of course, talking about HIV, HIV weren't you? Because that was such a big thing at one time, you know, that, I mean, that not gay rights back uh, massively because obviously they wanted to pin it on somebody so they pinned it on gay people you know Gosh. and that's, that's the way it is but as we know now it's rampant throughout all populations so, isn't it? so. so why why then I mean I want to go back onto your family in a minute because it's so wonderful I love coming to your house as you know it's such a lovely mm -hmm. home um, but like to ask you then why is why is pride important I think because it allows you to, for me, I think it's it's what you've achieved. Pride to me is what we've achieved so far. I mean, yeah. at one time it were illegal to be homosexual. You were, uh, off, you were either in prison or chemical castration. On the day me and Michael got married, on the 20, whatever, uh, July it was, it was the 40th anniversary since homosexuality had been legalised. Oh. We didn't we, we didn't plan it like that. It just it would just happen. Yeah, and so yeah. it, that was quite significant. But it's like, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, like how you get these people on the set, well, why ain't there a straight festival? Well, it's because it's never been illegal to be straight. Because you're not being victimised. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, I mean, even to this day, I don't think, and it was interesting, I looked at some stats the other day, just, just out of interest. A number of gay people that still don't hold hands with their partners mm. outside mm. because of fear of, you know, something going to happen. Mm. Um, I mean, that, that's still the mm. case, and that's still the case now. And I think you, you, you grow up through your adult phases, and you know, the only place you feel you can actually be yourself. When I was younger, we're in a gay club, mm. Mm. you know. And I remember I had Asian friends that, you know, had to. I mean, I remember being chased around streets of Sheffield in a car because mm -hmm. my Asian friend's cousins are spotting coming out of this gay club in Sheffield and chased us around streets of Sheffield in oh, a car. You know. Did you lose anyone to HIV? Like yeah, that? I've lost uh, a, a dear friend, Kasim. I lost him mm -hmm. to HIV. Uh, I can't remember what year that was, probably a while ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, and, I, and, you know, obviously working in infectious diseases and tropical medicine, we used to look after all the H well the AIDS patients so we had oh my goodness so I'd seen um, I mean I remember when I worked on that seeing because obviously male nurses when I started my training male nurses were still 
very rare. And the ones that had been in before me, qualified before me, were like in charge nurse roles and stuff mm. like that. And again, you, you got to know them. And not to stereotype, but a, a lot of them were gay men. And uh, I'd nursed, I nursed two or three um, that had, you know, contracted mm. HIV and mm. then obviously developed AIDS mm. as time moved on. And that was quite sad because, you know, they were handsome young men that were... Prime of, prime of the yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and it, it got, so yeah, it, was, it was quite... Mm. And I think if anybody watched that... Um, what was it called, that series that we're on? It's a sin. It's a sin. Really powerful, that were, it? You know, that were when, you know, that were... When it was that, that when it happened, that mm. what it was like it were. So shocking. then, fast forward to now mm. and how. Now you've got this amazing family. You're able to. <laughs> it's legal, which of course it should have always been. It shouldn't even be a thing. Um, tell tell me more about your your two uh, husbands gosh. and four children and five dogs. Two husbands. I wish I got two husbands. I'm not. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean you. Well, you well, and Michael. Well, go back before then. So if we go back to Owen Sheffield, we looked at adoption then. Um, so like I said, it, it we drilled it out then because we thought, oh, you know, we didn't. We nurses. We wanted to carry on working. We did, we couldn't. You know, it just didn't seem a viable option at that time. Then we moved to Barnsley, and. Um, and we started to think about adoption again. So we looked at it and found out that, oh, everything had totally changed. Um, you could adopt, you know, whatever age group you wanted, uh, that sort of thing. And um, we went through the adoption process, came out the other end um, and got my lovely boy uh, when he was just I think we just turned two and then um, several years later uh, uh, we got offered his brother uh, birth parent had had another um, child so we took, took that, took that little boy I remember it so, um, so they're now 11 and um, and 5 uh, totally different characters love them to pieces uh, you know it's I've never. I like. I love being a dad. I really do love being a dad, and they love me, and and it's lovely, and it's it's unconditional, and it, it it's it's great. And then we were approached by Barnes Social Services to say, would we consider doing fostering? And I thought, oh God, no, thank you. You know, I've got enough on. You know, sort of thing. And they said, they were desperate after COVID. During COVID, there were so many children um, coming to care, and there's been a lot of people turn their back on fostering that they're desperate so we thought we'd do it, do it as a short term thing to help out like weekends and stuff like that but it's turned out that we've had one boy with us who's coming up to 15 in July um, he's been with us nearly two years and we've got a little another little boy who's four who's been with us a year so uh, so yeah so. so busy so just to describe the scene then when you go into Liam Michael's house <laughs> Oh gosh! No. <laughs> Dogs barking. Dogs barking. Children shouting. Usually kettle on. Something cooking. Conversation. Love. <laughs> and you just walk in, and it's just a lovely family home. It really. is manic, though. It is it manic. Is, it is manic, but you know, I think family life is, isn't it? Oh, it is definitely. Um, I mean, we don't stop. You don't. So, how do you cope with it all then? As a, as a. As a as a daddy, how do you cope well, with it all? Well, it is hard. I mean, working because I work full time still, 
Um, but luckily, since COVID, I work from home, so I very rarely have to go into office. But that could change imminently. Um, so being able to work from home really allowed a lot of flexibility with childcare. Um, you see, school holidays are a pain. I must admit, but can I just ask you something about that? You see, it's something that we've talked about before in the past. When you get um, an opposite sex couple, what seems to happen is uh, when you start a family, is you seem to get this default thing of. Uh, you know, the woman works part time, or you know, I think it, maybe it's because I suppose a woman has to go through it physically. Mm. Uh, you know, but I mean, for me, I I sort of did that. I worked a bit more around the children, but it never quite sat comfortably with me. I know it sounds, you know, I love looking after children and things, but I see work as a way to support them. Mm. Um, but I think because you're two blokes, there were no one seemed to fall into that default position. No, but I think you d you do finish up. Somebody has to give. Yeah, Somebody understand. has to give, and that seems to be me. Yeah. Um, so I, although Michael does pick him up most of the time from school, I always take him to school. Mm. Uh, at one time I was taking him, fetching him, mm. then coming home, doing dinner, still trying to work in between, uh, got these little ones that are screeching because they're hungry, you know, that sort of thing, and it's just all... It is hard, and it, it's incredibly hard. Then you've got washing up top, you've got dogs barking, you've got to feed dogs, you know, geriatric cat screaming because she doesn't think she's even being fed and she has been fed, but, you know. So so then, bearing in mind all of that then, what about, what about time for Lee? What about you? What about what you want to do? Oh, God, you forget that sometimes, don't you? I mean, t to be honest, I, there's not much time for Lee to be honest uh, and there needs to be and that needs to change and I think you know I take my relaxation phase is night time when I can get in the bath and just chill for that I, I might be in a half an hour three quarters of an hour but that's my chill time and as long as I can get out with my dogs and I, I do that walk on my own I'm fine I'm quite resilient that way um and that, that that bit of time I have, because you got because you and Michael have got like limited support, haven't you? In oh, that yeah, you haven't yeah. really got any family nearby no. or anything like well, Michael's that. Michael's family's all in Scotland. Yeah, my brother lives in Stocksbridge, but he works full time. He's got his own family mm. and stuff, so that's hard. Um, and other than people like yourself mm -hmm. that we're and Sally's brilliant. Mm. Um, when one of the children said to you, or you know. How come there's two daddies? How do you talk about that? Well, I think it, it for me it's more it, it's been more of an issue for me. One of my biggest dreads were um, when I started school was going to school and being known as oh, that kid's got two dads sort of mm. thing. But actually, that never come to fruition. The other aspect that worried me was would some parents be funny? about sending their children to my house knowing it was a same-sex relationship and that bothers me and I think we've had examples where not being invited to parties you know what I'm talking about that mm. and, and that, that's really hurt me because I know that's because he's got two dads that is ridiculous to and me. that's nothing to do with mm -hmm. that's because purely because it comes from a same-sex family mm. but for the boys it's never come into topic of conversation i think the the eldest one feels really quite lucky he said oh it's great having two dads you know sort of thing and, and stuff and 
never questions it, ever questions it at all. No. Well, why would you? But well, that uh, you know, it's what you've been. Yeah, well, that could change when he gets to secondary yeah. school somewhat, and I have to be prepared for that. But we've given all ammunition that he needs, all the all the armor he needs to try and deflect that if another kid says something. But like I say, I think society's changed so so much. And another thing coming to Barnsley, we're like, oh my god, I'm a gay man, I'm moving, to, and I'm going to live in Barnsley. What's it going to be like? You know, I've come from a really big city, and I'm going to this place. And do you know what? Everybody's been great, not an issue at all. So I think a lot of it's this built-up imaginary issues that could happen because you hear it, you know, you know it goes off. You know, there's a lot of bigotry still out there, and you don't want yourself or people that's significant to you to become affected by it and I think that's what it comes down to yeah I remember I remember once uh, my son saying to me um because the thing is is that we've always I've always come you know to your house we've always done social stuff together oh. haven't we um you know and I just think uh we've had a friendship haven't we always yeah. but I also want my children to understand and know that that is normal mm -hmm. of course it's normal mm -hmm. Um, and I remember my uh, lad saying to me, you know, why, why is, why have, why is the two daddies? And I said, well, because, uh, you know, the mum couldn't look after him, and yeah. and and Liam Michael could, and now look here, they, they've yeah. got two and lovely daddies to, to look so, on. You know, I, I remember um, him on the boys coming home from school one day and saying, oh, I've been asked why, why I don't have a mummy. I said, well, first of all, everybody has to have a mum. Yeah. Everybody has to have a mum or you won't be here. I said, so, I said, but unfortunately, you know, and they always say this, your mum loved you, but she couldn't look after you and she couldn't keep you safe. So that's why, you know, you've got two daddies and, you know, you chose us as, as much as we chose you sort of thing. So mm. It's because they're lucky. Yeah. That's why. I mean, the first day I met my eldest boy was, he greeted me with, Daddy Lee. And it's stuck ever since, you know, mm -hmm. that's it. And I mean, even nursery kids used to call me Daddy Lee. I remember. Do you remember? I remember my kids still do. Yeah. Daddy Lee. You know, it's like, <laughs> my God, I've known as Daddy Lee. I'm like, I mean, Pied Piper. The, th <laughs> the thing is, so what, what would you say then to other gay couples who are looking to uh, adopt children? What would you say? That's to do it. Uh, you know, you can offer them some things. I mean, uh, lots of benefits yeah, lots of love lots of nurturing and that's what it's about um and it's been proven that kids that are in same-sex couples don't suffer any detriment there's research that shows that there's no you don't need this typical mom and dad situation you don't need it because families are made up of every, all different things you know you your auntie might be your mom for a, you know for a while your gran or what you know that sort of thing so you know, as long as I think they've got to have some female input, which we have, we yourself and other females and stuff. It's not just purely, although we are a, nearly a, a normal male household now with the foster boys and stuff and, and what have you. But, um, but you know, I think you just got to, I think a lot, of, a lot of the issues are what you hold inside. You know, it's that fear of being rejected by probably mums and dads at school. Are you going to be talked about? Are your kids going to be bullied? That's a big concern for me. Is 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 are they going to be bullied as they get older? Because mm. I don't want that. Mm. I, I was bullied at school. And I don't want it for my I, children. I know uh, a girl friend of mine who was a, a teacher, and she says that uh, and we were at school together, and she says one of the main differences between school now and school when we were kids is that people are out. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas they didn't used to be. She says it's just a thing where people yeah, are out. They walk, yeah. you know, they walk around holding hands. So yeah. hopefully, you know, our children, the generation of, you know, their yeah. children, it might. And I think it has changed because I know, I know, teachers are now out at school. Mm. You know, they, you never knew who you who, yeah. who were gay, who were married, or whatever when yeah. I was at school. What do you think about this whole um, drag thing? Have you heard about it? Drag. Where they're getting uh, drag people in drag to go into schools and read stories to children to. I think whatever. Well, that's what I think. I think one thing I learned from working in sexual health is is that it's very easy to say you're in this box, you'll do sex this way, and that's it. Anything that that's abnormal, it's not the case. So, so you know, you've got to be, you've you've got to be. It's on a spectrum, and everybody has to fit in. Everybody's got a place in society. Everybody. So whether you're, you know, a transvestite or you're going through gender reassignment or whatever it may be, you know, or you're a gay man or a lesbian or whatever, a straight, bisexual, it doesn't matter. Mm. Well, you don't, take, no, you don't make you a horrible person, I, does it? Of course not. I mean, the thing is, is that the way that I've always seen it is, or why it astonishes me so much is like, what you do in the bedroom is your own business, obviously, so long as it's legal. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I meet a person or when I work with a person, whatever, my first thought in, oh, are they are they gay or yeah. are they trans? I don't but think, it's not, it's not, I just think what, you know, yeah. Are they a decent person? I but don't it's, not, it's not just down to what your sexual practices are, is it? It's, it's how you want to express yourself, you know? Yes, yes. If, if you want yes. to, if I want to walk around, we, not that I do, but if I were to go to Jenny and get my nails done mm. and walk around with long talons like that as a bloke, why shouldn't I be able to do well, it? Well, you should. But <laughs> I don't. I, I, I don't <laughs> I'd love it. But, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, and why, why is it even a thing? Why is it even an issue? That's exactly. where I don't understand. You're right. It's like yeah. people want to like put themselves into boxes and I'm safe because I'm yeah, in this yeah. box. Yeah. And, and Blame it... Queen Victoria. <laughs> so um, just another thing I just wanted to ask. So um, who has been, it's a, quite a big question, but who has been, would you say, the biggest influence on your life? My granddad. What was his name? Jack. Well, John. But we all called him Jack. Yeah. Mm. So why was he the biggest influence on your life? And was he ginger too? No. <laughs> he wasn't. My granddad was six foot four. Okay. Lived in India for a while. Um, and was just an amazing, charismatic man. He was knowledgeable. He was a professional, he was somebody that you would always turn to. Did he work in medicine too? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did he do? Psychiatry. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so, so interesting. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I would say my, my nan as well. Uh, again, she's <laughs> she was a nurse as well. Uh, what was yeah, she called? She was called Helen. We all call the Nell for short. Oh, okay. Well, everybody called the Nell for short. And again, just inspirational people that mm-hmm. I wanted to be like because mm-hmm. they were so lovely and. So it's kind. about being kind. And... Kind, yeah. Just everything. They were, yeah. You'd have a problem, and you go to my granddad, either of my grandparents, but after my nana died, you go to to my granddad, and you'd say, "I've got this issue. Nothing's an issue." unless you make it an issue mm. and we'll make it, make it right. And if that were made right by him, so so an example would be, you'd say to Granda, Granda, can you lend me 20 pound? I can, and I want it back. 
So it get it go in this you have a you have a little kitty box and you get it's twenty pound now uh, or two tenners. I give it yeah. So when we give me back, I'll give it you back whenever, sort of thing. Right, okay. And as soon as you went back with it, you take it off you, so say it was twenty quid and you go, That's yours, that's mine. Oh. And that's what I do every time. Yeah. You, you think, no, I even did it with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Today. So um, to summarize, not to summarize, but I suppose like a final, uh, mm. some final wisdom for you then. What, um, I mean, you said you're 57 now. Mm. You're a pup. Oof. You're God, a pup. God. Um, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in your life? What knowledge can you pass on to people younger than you? So far in well, your I life at say, this point, Lee Montgomery. I would say be yourself, be courageous, don't let anything hold you back because there's so many opportunities in life. You've just got to take them when you can. Learn from your mistakes if you can. And if you make them again, it's it's not a big problem. And I always say this, you know, I would rather say I wish I'd never done that than say I wish I'd done it. I see. So I'd rather try everything than regret never doing it. I see. The only one regret I've actually got is that <laughs> when I, when uh, I went backpacking around the world, me and a friend, uh, we were on the island, uh, one of the Fijian, not the main island, one of the small Fijian islands, and in the in the in the harbour was a, a tall ship, you know, windsail one, mm. and they were looking for crew to sail the South Pacific oh my for the next so many months. And uh, it was, it, all you had to do work on the ship, on the boat, and they provided your food and everything else. That's all they did. And I really wanted to do it. I really, really wanted to do it. But I don't do it on my own. And that's one of the regrets I'd, I Oh, you should have gone on. You should have sailed that yeah, ship. Yeah, should have sailed it. You might sail another. So, you might sail yeah, another. Yeah, might do. So then just what what do you see happening in the future, Lee? Say like the next five to ten years. Have you got anything planned? Well, I hope to retire. Um, what will you do in all March. day? What will you do all day? 2024. So that's my plan. I, I, I want, I'd like to retire mm -hmm. then because I think the kids take up so much of my time. Will you, will you adopt me? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, so... What I'd like to do is, um, I could fill my day doing stuff easily. I, I, I don't have any hobbies, but I could fill my day doing, just, I'm a potterer. I like to do a bit here and a bit there and with the kids and I feel like I'd have more time. While I've still got the energy and the health, I'd, I'd like to just pack in work and just focus on the boys and, and different things like that. Um, I'd like us to get, this is really boring. No, so, I'm sure it isn't. Well, it is actually. I've, uh, <laughs> so, I've always we had a we had a motorhome, as you know. Mm. Uh, it didn't sit well with Michael because he, he felt like we we're on top of each other. So we're lucky to get a caravan, and I would like to get another caravan, and then just for us to just do a bit of touring around. Where would I you think. go? Oh, all over England, I think. There must be because the thing is, is that I sometimes think there's like places in England. Everyone talks about going abroad, don't yeah. they? But like there's places in England that I haven't seen. Oh, definitely. And I would like to take the boys to Glastonbury. Oh wow! I really, really want to take the boys to Glastonbury. What an experience! So yeah, yeah. And that's another thing. So caravanning. Glastonbury. Look, 
Glastonbury looking after the children. Yes, and some nice holidays. So we're going to LA and Cancun this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, in August, and then I think I would like to take him on safari. I would like to go back to um, Australia with him. Do you think when you retire, you'll miss the NHS, that big blue logo? Will you miss Ooh, it? Ooh, will I miss it? I don't know. I think I've done my time. Do you? Yeah, I do. I think I've done my time. You've contributed yeah. in every way um, you can. And the role I'm in now, it's very political and stuff. And it's, mm. you know, it's it's, I mean, it's probably different if it were frontline. I might not even, I could even return to two days frontline nursing again. Mm. I don't know. Would you enjoy that? Do you think? Well, could think you go and work in A&E again? Probably not A&E. Mm. Uh, but probably, I wouldn't mind going on the ward. I wouldn't mm. mind doing, I wouldn't mind working at the hospice, something like that. Right, okay. Yeah, doing that two well, days a week or something. Help people. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. So it must, it's very much in your na- nature to help, isn't it? That's I think what, it's in my genes. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So even uh, even going back in time, one mm. of my ancestors was a physician to King George III. Really? Yeah. yeah. King George III, he had mental mad, health yeah, issues, didn't King he? Yeah, he was a physician to him. Really? Yeah. So we go back that what, far. What, what were that person called? Oh, I can't remember that. Have, have look, <laughs> I think we're at Jeb. I don't. I can't remember. So as as back as as back as far to the yeah, to the we know. In, throughout the great sands Before of time. Before that, we're getting burnt as witches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So your your great 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 grandmother were a wise woman. Yeah, they got burnt at the stake. <laughs> so that's my chat with Lee. Remember to subscribe to Meet Caroline on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Caroline from Clear Digital. You can find me at hello at cleardigital.co.uk or call us on 01226 249 590. Thanks for listening. See you next time. (laughs) This is a Pod One production. For more information, visit (laughs) podone.co.uk.